Have you heard of Peter Popov? Have you, have you heard this name before? Maybe late one night, as you were channel surfing, you stumbled upon an infomercial with this gentleman selling Miracle Spring water. Hopefully you didn't purchase any of it. He is a TV preacher, and I'll put that in air quotes. I hate to even use that word to describe him. He reached national prominence in the early 1980s with miraculous cures. A lot of air quotes with this illustration. Cures of incurable conditions during his TV sermons. He would command wheelchair-bound people to rise and break free. And they would stand and walk and run around and dance to the cheers of the crowd. But then it was later proven that these people were fully mobile, ambulatory, and they were placed in wheelchairs by Peter Popov's assistants behind, uh, before the cameras began rolling. In the mid-80s, he began collecting funds to provide Bibles to people in the Soviet Union. He had this big plan that he was going to tie Bibles to balloons and float them in to the Soviet Union for the people there. But when critics began to question where all the money collected went, Peter Popoff staged a burglary at his own headquarters. And then he went on TV tearfully begging for more donations to repair the damage. Well, in 1986, one skeptic conducted an investigation. That showed when Popov would announce names and medical conditions of people in the audience to everybody's amazement. He was getting that information from his wife by way of an earpiece. Well, after this bad publicity, ratings and donations for Peter Popov's ministry declined significantly. And maybe you think this would be career in, a career ending scandal for him. But no, it was not. In the late 90s, he made a comeback. He would hold revivals in hotel lobbies, preaching a, a prosperity gospel, you know, telling the people if they had enough faith, then they would experience health and wealth. And these revivals were complete with healings, and then these would be broadcast in late night infomercials where he'd also hawk his miracle spring water. Well, in the 2000s, several media outlets began interviewing people who had been swindled by this guy. And yet, he continued preaching, healing. He continued profiting off of his ministry. And he and his wife, they live in a multi-million dollar mansion in California. And he drives both a Porsche and a Mercedes Benz. It's been proven time and again that this guy is a con man. Undoubtedly, and yet, he continues to prey on desperate victims. Well, why do I bring up Peter Popoff in a Sunday morning sermon? Well, it turns out, if you look at your Bible, that scam artists, that people who, under the guise of religion, try to make a buck, 
have been with us from the very start. From the very beginning of Christianity, there have been such figures. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and this is our text today, and I would encourage you to grab a Bible and go there with me. Check this out. This is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun, says Solomon in the Old Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at around verse 3, Paul is talking about false teachers again. We've been in 1 Timothy for a while. We have covered a, a section towards the beginning about false teachers It's an important theme in this letter to Timothy. And he says in verse 3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's talking about those who have rejected sound doctrine, healthy teaching about Christ for myths, uh, for stuff that is outside of the biblical witness, outside of what accords to godliness. He goes down... In verse 5, and he says, such false teachers and their adherents, he describes them this way. He says, they view godliness as a means of gain. That's chapter 6, verse 5. They view godliness as a means of gain. They use the veneer, the facade of religion to turn a profit. To pad their pockets. We've got Peter Popoff and several others today. And these types of folks have been with us since the very beginning of the Christian faith. Now, there is, of course, a deeper problem undergirding this whole enterprise. People who use godliness as a means of personal gain. We could call it greed. We could call it materialism. But let's call it what Paul calls it. In our passage today, in verses 9 and 10, Paul uses this language. He talks about the desire to be rich and the love of money. In verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, the problem that Paul confronts is what we're going to call this morning the attitude of more. The attitude of more, the insatiable desire. To selflessly amass to ourselves more and more and more. Money, wealth, stuff. Now let me provide the usual caveat. And I provide it because it's true. It is not inherently wrong to be wealthy. To have money. When we look at our New Testament, we see that there were well-to-do Christians... In the first century, Paul mentions a couple of them in Romans chapter 16. You don't have to turn there. I'll just share them with you quickly. One is a lady named Phoebe. He brings her up in verses 1 and 2 of Romans 16, and he calls her a patron of several followers of Christ, including himself. And that probably meant that she provided financial assistance for the spread of the gospel. And to do that, you had to have some funds. You had to have some resources. There's Phoebe, and then later in Romans chapter 16, we find mention of a man named Erastus, who was the city treasurer of Corinth. And we've actually found, well, I shouldn't say we, because we had nothing to do with it, but archaeologists have actually found a couple inscriptions with this guy's name on it in the ruins of ancient Corinth. Now, to fund an inscription to be the city 
treasurer, you had to be a prominent individual, a well-to-do person, someone with wealth and resources. So it's not inherently wrong to have wealth. The problem, of course, arises when we trade in the selfless use of our resources to advance the kingdom of God. That's how we ought to be using what God has given us. That's how we ought to be stewarding the gifts from God. When we trade, the problem comes when we trade in that attitude for the selfish desire for more. And we ought to issue a warning to ourselves. There is often a thin line between these two attitudes. Between the selfless use of our resources to spread the gospel and the selfish desire for more. We, we dare not think that we are not susceptible to the attitude of more. We should not pretend even for a moment that we are immune to the pervasive, pernicious messaging from our culture and from advertising and, and from commercials that tell us you need this gadget, you need this house, you need this boat, you need this toy, you need this car. I could go on and on. We shouldn't for a moment think that we are not in danger of adopting the attitude of more that has taken over our culture. But I fear that our unbelieving neighbors can't often tell a difference between us and the world when it comes to how we view and how we use our material possessions. And there ought to be a difference. There ought to be. The desire to be rich, the love of money, well, it damages far more than our witness to an unbelieving world. Paul spells out the consequences of the attitude of more in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Listen to some of the vivid language that is used here. As Paul describes what happens when we embrace, when we adopt the desire for wealth, the love of money. He says harm will come upon us. Ruin. Destruction. Evil, we will pierce ourselves with many pains. We will inflict pain on our lives. And the bottom line, the big point he's trying to drive home in these two verses is, this attitude, the attitude of more, places you on a path that leads you away from the faith. If you adopt the desire to be rich, the love of money, then you will soon find yourself Losing footing in the faith completely. It's a dangerous path to be on. Why? Because when we place ourselves, when we adopt this attitude, we begin to, we begin to trust in our stuff instead of our God. We become convinced that we don't need Him. You see, great wealth, if we're not extremely careful, produces within us the illusion of self-sufficiency. We begin to, to say to ourselves, I bought all this stuff with the money that I made in the position that I earned. 
And before long, our stuff, our wealth, becomes our God. And we find ourselves drifting further and further away from the faith. Well, Paul commends a very different attitude for Christians. Very different. Instead of viewing godliness as a means of gain, which we mentioned earlier, like those who, who are carried away by false teaching, we should instead view, I'm going to use Paul's words here from verse 6, we should view godliness with contentment as great gain. If we are seeking after godliness, if we are developing godliness in our lives, then that is what is truly valuable. That is what is truly worth something. And those who have placed their faith in Christ will not view godliness as a means of getting something else, but will view godliness as the end itself, as something of great value. Paul says godliness along with contentment. Well, you will have gained something if you, if you gain that. Paul says here, in a nutshell, choose contentment every day. Choose contentment every day. And this is a tall order in our society. This is a big challenge in our culture. Our sermon series in 1 Timothy is called Everyday Discipleship. And we're talking about how being disciples is the most important role that we play and it affects every other role, every other piece of our identity in our lives. And we've talked about giving thanks every day and we've talked about lifting prayers every day, training spiritually every day, staying focused on Christ every day, building relationships every day. And today we challenge one another, choose contentment every day. Instead of the attitude of more, we are called to embrace the attitude of enough. The attitude of enough. We say to the Lord, God, what you have so graciously and generously provided me with that, I will be content. Lord, it is enough. It's enough. Paul expounds on the attitude of enough in verses 7 and 8. Let's check these verses out together. He says, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. We all know that to be true. That is an obvious truth. And yet we, we still need to be reminded of it, do we not? Because we act like and we live like it's not true. That what we amass in this life does matter. And that we can somehow take it with us when we go. We cannot. As Paul so clearly says here in verse 8. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. In verse 7, Paul challenges our earthly perspective with an eternal perspective. This is a humbling thought. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out. It reminds me of what Job said in chapter 1, verse 21 of the book of Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. I brought nothing in. I can take nothing out. We would do so well to remember the temporary nature of material possessions. The fleeting nature of our stuff. And then he says, you know what? With food and clothing, we will be content with these. God, if you provide for our very basic needs, that will be enough. I can live with that and I'll be grateful for that. That is a sign of your grace, God. That I would be able to eat 
every day and to have clothes to wear. But we're not often satisfied with that, are we? We want more and more and more. And we forget the words to that, that hymn that we like to sing. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below. In that song we say, a little silver and a little gold. Well, that's even more than what Paul said. He said, with just food and clothing, with these, we will be content. You see, the attitude of more says to God, I'm not satisfied with just a cottage below. When you're always wanting more and more and more, it communicates to God that what He has so graciously and generously provided you is not enough. The physical blessings that I have are not enough, God. The spiritual blessings that I have are not enough. I want more. But instead, the attitude of enough not only fosters contentment, it fosters gratitude to God as well. The truth is, if you embrace the attitude of more, like the world, then you will never be satisfied. That's how this works, you know. They say if you buy this, then you'll be happy. If you buy that, then you'll be satisfied. It's not how it works. And they know it. The people making the ads and producing the products, they know that it's true. They know they're going to continue to sink their hooks into us and keep us coming back for more and more and more. There is no amount of money. There's no amount of stuff or gadgets or toys that will ever be enough. When we adopt the attitude of more. In the 2017 film The Greatest Showman. The famous opera singer Jenny Lynn sings a song called Never Enough. And it's a song about her insatiable appetite for fame. She sings all the shine of a thousand spotlights. All the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world. But it'll never be enough. Never be enough. For me, And I'm afraid that this sentiment captures the feeling of millions of us who have embraced the attitude of more, more, more. Well, in contrast, the attitude of enough says, while I will accept additional resources so that I can use them to glorify God, I'll take that, I'll take that raise at work. That promotion. And if my career brings wealth and success, so be it. And I'll be sure to use what I make in order to advance God's kingdom. While that is true, I don't need it. I don't need that. We say with Paul in Philippians 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Philippians 4.11, Paul says that. Because Jesus is sweeter than all. And it's sweet to trust in Jesus. And He will be enough for me. I don't need anything besides. Remember when I said earlier that it's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not intrinsically sinful to have resources. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Because we all are extremely wealthy. We are. Sometimes we think we're not because we're comparing ourselves to the 1% of our society. But if you think about it historically, in the history of our world, no people have ever been as rich 
as we are in the United States of America in 2020, and among the people of our world today, we are extraordinarily lavishly wealthy. Well, Paul's got a message for us in chapter 6, verse 17. And I want to close with this passage. 17 through 19. Paul says, as for the rich, and when we read that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, we better read, well, we better assume he's talking to me. That means me. I'm rich. You're rich. We all are. As for the rich, he's talking to us. In this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We talked about this earlier. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now we can only live out this calling. We can only receive this reward when we have sufficiently shed the attitude of more and embraced and adopted the attitude of enough. Lord, it is enough. With what you have given me, I will be satisfied. When we have, we can only follow what Paul here has to say when we've chosen contentment. You know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, in Christ, there are unsearchable riches. And in his teaching that accords with godliness, we should count godliness with contentment as great gain. That is what we're after. That is what we are pursuing. And that, my friends, that, my brothers and sisters, is more than enough. Christ is more than enough. And the question God has for us is, will we be satisfied in Him? Will we find satisfaction in the salvation and all the blessings besides that come from our God and Father in Heaven through Him? Or will we adopt the ways of the world? The attitude of more tells us there's never enough. With Christ, there is more than enough. Do you want to put on Christ this morning? Do you want to confess His beautiful name, repent of your sins and be baptized so that you can rise up and walk in newness of life? Or do you need prayers for any reason? We would delight to pray with you and for you if you're struggling in any way. We sing a song every week. We call it the song of encouragement or the invitation song. It's not my invitation. It's not the elder's invitation. It's God's invitation to come. And experience the unsearchable riches of life in Christ. Christ will provide you more than enough. And you can be satisfied and content in Him. If that's your desire this morning, then please come while we stand and sing. Oh my